Acts 2, 42 through 47. After the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, it gives us a glimpse of what began to take place after the birthday and the birth of the church. And they, the church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I don't know if you caught a thematic word that I intentionally emphasize. It's a three-letter word called and. And in these six verses, you read that that word some 17 times, and, and, and. Simply meaning also as well in addition to. When we read about the church, it is more than a moment. It is to be a momentum. It is to continue. It is to be also as well in addition to. Just like Jesus said, believe. And he also said to repent. And he also said to be baptized. And he also said to receive the Holy Ghost. And he said to continue in holiness. And you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, if we're not adding, we're losing. It says in Second Peter chapter 1, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temper. You see, it's a continuation of things that ought to be added to in our lives. I'm thankful for my new birth experience, but I want the addition that God has for me as an individual. And we as a church, we should be thankful for the moments that have occurred here. But there is more that God has for the church. In verse 47, it says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There is a church that should be. There is a church that could be. There is a church that God would want us to be. I, I look through the scriptures so many times. I look to the book of Acts and I'm looking and revisiting all the elements in the church model that is found in the book of Acts. I'm looking for the answer. And yes, there are many. I'm looking for what happened, what occurred for there to be such a wildfire, for there to be such a growth, so dynamic, so powerful, so potent. I look at that and I desire it. I want it. And so I am a student of the book of Acts. I am a student of the Bible, but I definitely look at the early church, the original church, and I want to glean anything I can to be that church. And beyond and further, because Jesus said, greater things shall ye do. Greater things shall ye see. I want the greater that God has for the church. If you are in agreement with that, would you clap your hands to the Lord?
With the help of the Lord, I just want to talk for the next few moments about free ice water. Free ice water. As we look at this list of and that I have just read to you in your sitting, and we look at all the things that occurred in the church, there are a number of things that we could select and focus on. We look at the Apostles' doctrine being continued steadfastly. We look at the fellowship. We look at the breaking of bread. We look at the prayers. We look at the fear that is upon every soul. We look at the wonders, the signs done by the apostles. We look at people believing together. We look at people having all things in common. We look at a group of folks that sold their possessions and goods and begin to distribute equally to everyone's need. We find this group daily continuing in the temple. We find them taking it from the temple and taking it house to house. We see all these elements that they are doing it with gladness. But I feel the Lord draw my attention to the phrase in verse 46. The singleness of heart. The singleness of heart. That word singleness, it only appears one time. In the Greek, the language that the Bible is written in the New Testament. And this word appears only one time. And it is here in our reading. And that word simply means smooth. A smoothness. A simplicity. I like to keep things simple. That's kind of how I preach. I'm not a very deep guy. I'm not very complex in thought. Though my mind, if you were to enter into it, you might think it's a little weird or complex. But I like simple. I like easy. I like things to go smoothly. And we read in the scripture that as the church began to be added to daily, such as should be saved, there was an element to the church that things ran smooth. There was a simplicity to the church. Here we are in 2020. And I almost wonder if the church is still all that simple or have we made it more complex than God intended it to be? I wonder, I don't know. Single all by itself, things can go smooth. And if you're here today under the sound of my voice and you find yourself in the stage of life where you are single, you might think life is complex. But maybe if you get married, life will get smooth. Maybe if you get married, Things will be simple. Ha! Woo! I feel like you hang out there for a little bit. When you get married, things don't go smooth. Ah, and it's not my wife's fault. It's my fault things don't go smooth. I only made things more complex when my wife entered into my life. That's the way marriage is. It's the way relationship goes. With addition comes complexity. And it is hard to imagine as when we read in Scripture, we see that two are better than one. We see that a threefold cord is not easily broken. We see the benefit or two of three or more gathered together in his name. God is in the midst. You would think it's the answer, the solution, but... With addition comes complexity, comes difficulty, and it's not always a smooth road, but I'm telling you, 
It is possible for the church to be added to daily, such as should be saved when there is a singleness of the heart. But things sometimes get complicated in the church. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul, who we look to for advice so often, says, I have a fear, I have a worry, I have a concern that that serpent, the devil, just like he beguiled and he deceived Eve in the garden, he did it through subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I propose to you, we are never more in danger than when we stray from the simplicity that is in Christ. It doesn't have to be all that complicated. And the devil knows this. And so he excels at helping you to accumulate complications. The devil knows it's not that he necessarily knows that when our life gets complex, we stray from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so it makes matters complicated in the church. And yes, life is complex. But in the heat of the battle, I draw our attention. I try to stir something inside of you. To get back to the basics, to get back to the simple things, to the singleness of heart. There is an example in scripture of a very serious circumstance in 2 Samuel 23, verse 14 and 15. We read about David, a king, but also a warrior who's been on the battlefield time and time again. And the Bible says he is in a hold. He is in the garrison of the Philistines. And was then in Bethlehem. David, as he's trying to do something for God and for the kingdom of God, he finds himself basically backed up into a corner. He is in enemy territory and it doesn't look very good. He is going to be killed. He's going to be defeated. He's going to be destroyed. Life is quite complicated for David. But while his life is in danger while a gun is pointed to his head, more like a spear, an arrow, a javelin in those days. David makes this statement in verse 15. David longs. He desires and he says, oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. That's Interesting when you are in the midst of a battle and your life is at risk and you don't know your next moment is even promised. And you it doesn't say that, David. Oh, I long to be with my wife. Oh, I wish I could just hold my little tyke when I get home. Man, I, I would love to go golfing right about now. Now, the last, the, the, the thing that is on his mind in this moment is, I sure could use a cup of water. Oh, if somebody can just give me a nice ice cold glass of water. that Not the Fiji water, I want the Bethlehem water. I want it straight from the well that's right by the gate. I don't want you to go to Casey's, I want you to go to Senex. And that's the place I want my Bethlehem water to come from. He's, he makes the point to put detail and emphasis where he would like his bottled water to come from. Something so basic 
And yet it is so essential. We know this to be true as basic as water is that without it, there is no life. It is what distinguishes us from the rest of the solar system. And while scientists are sending different, you know, um, vehicles out into outer space and landing onto Mars. They're, they're in search to find if water existed somewhere else because if there is water somewhere else, there is life. Water so basic yet so critical, so complex, so needed for us to have. You've been a part if probably at some point listening as we did fasting series and we've been through fasting together. And there's a number here that you've been on a 40 day fast with no food at all. And I've been on that a couple times and it's it's a it's a difficult journey to go on. But I've done 40 days, no food, and I've done three days, no food, no water. And I I tell you right now, just at least from personal experience, the most difficult fast that I've ever personally done is the two times I went no water for three days where my body was just re- just ringing in pain. And, and it was an awful experience. And yet David has this longing, knowing that there's something so valuable and needed for this water to be in his life. In fact, so much he stirs and moves some of his men, mighty men, in verse 16 and 17. And they went out. They go to the opposition itself and they break through the garrison, a garrison of the Philistines. And they get that water and they bring that glass of water to David. And then you read in scripture that David, he could not drink that water because he knew it was the price of blood. It cost them Something They put their life on the line for him. So David poured it out. Now imagine yourself being the person that just heard your good general, your good captain, your good king say, I know we're about to die. I would just like a nice glass of water from Bethlehem, namely the one right by the gate, that well. Specifically speaking, just in case you're wondering. And they go and they break forth and they get it. They bring it to him. And he gets that, he looks at it, and in front of them, pours it out. How would you fare? How would you like to see that? But David was communicating to them the value of what they did. And he says, look, what you've done is so valuable. I, I, can't, I can't drink. This may look like water, but it's blood. You put your life on the line. And so I pour it out as a thanks offering, as an offering unto the Lord. I find, you know, this, this, this world that we are in. I remember when I was younger, I thought differently. I, I had this attitude about me where I would get really agitated when I, when I grew up and I was uh, able to reach the pedals in the car and drive, I got a driver's license and I would go to the gas station and get gas. And it's just kind of a, a problem I have. I have this addiction where I have to go on the gas station and I have to buy something to eat or drink. I can never just get gasoline. It is an impossibility for me. It's a, the struggle is real. And I just remember, though, as a teenager, one thing I refused to buy, it would make me so mad, is the purchase of water in a bottle. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing in the world. I can go to the faucet, turn it on, 
stick my oversized head underneath that faucet while on a step stool, and I can get me some water for free. I'm not going to pay for bottled water. It's the most silly thing I've ever heard of before. Then you read in the Bible, God even gave a command in Deuteronomy 2, 6. He says, when you go and you uh, go into this town, I want you to buy some food with your money. Well, that makes sense. But then God adds insult to injury. Now, he's saying this because it's family. You're like, I, I, I don't go to my family's house and pull out my billfold to buy a loaf of bread, you know, to toast that's inside there. It's just kind of an open door policy. You go in your parents' house, you, you open, you know, whatever cabinet, and you just start digging and eating. Has anyone got that kind of understanding when you go to your family's house? If you don't, then you probably, it's probably a very abusive relationship if they don't let you eat anything. But I, 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 like, I like to go and I just open the cabinets and I eat whatever I want. I would never go to my mom and dad's house, open the cabinet, grab whatever snack, and then like hand them a $5 bill. Now, I probably should. I should probably be respectful of the money they're spending to feed my sorry, lazy little carcass. But it's just just something I've never done before. I've never minded that. I never thought about it. And so they're traveling by family. And so they're thinking, man, this is an eater, man. This is is a family. I can can, can get it. It's that distant relative, but I can probably get some free grub out of this. But God says, no, I want you to pay for your meat. Not only do I want you to pay for your meat, I want you to pay for your water. You want me to buy? Water, silliest thing I ever heard. It's like my verse would be Lamentations 5, 4. I would lament, I would weep that I am drinking my own water and I'm having to pay for it. That is what agitates me. That is what bothers me, having to pay for it. Now, I've changed a little bit because I've, 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 I've since then learned, you know, some of the, the differences between what runs in certain community taps it just takes a trip or two to a certain town and like basically the water tastes like dirt or the water tastes like rust or maybe even you're Michigan and the water uh, is basically poisoning you. And then you find out basically in your in your your faucet, there's fluoride in the water and it's going to, you know, rot you and destroy you. And so you no longer brush your teeth and you no longer drink water out of your faucet because there's fluoride in it or something. So things start changing in your mind. You might get a little concerned and worried. And then comes the bottle of water. Then comes buying some special device to purify and filtrate the water. But it's expensive to do that. We have that, what, the Colligan man. You get the Colligan man. And and, and every time, once a year, he comes to change our filter out. And I have to be home when he changes that filter out because I want to see if I'm getting my money's worth. And when he pulls that filter, unturns it, and that thing looks like it was like plunged in some sewer system somewhere, some septic tank. And then I'm thankful that I paid to get my water filtrated and cleansed. And you're wondering maybe where we're going here today. But I promise you, we have a point today that I believe the Lord has put upon my heart. Because there are some things that we need to draw our attention to here today. My wife and I and our children, we were... On the west side of the state, last week, we were visiting some of the churches and trying to um, visit with the pastors and, and kind of just talk about the vision for the state and things coming up. And we decided to stop somewhere that I stopped only one time in my life, and that was over a decade ago because there were signs everywhere for it. It was a town called Wall. Have you ever heard of it? Anyone ever heard of Wall? 
Well, it is a town of 766 people right off the interstate, right outside the Badlands. It is a famous place. It is a well-known place, believe it or not. And we decided to take our kids there because we never did that before. At least I have no memory or recollection of them going. Maybe Noah when he's super young. But Wall, South Dakota. I don't know if you have the pictures on you. We decided to stop by this place called Wall Drug, which is a drugstore in Wall, South Dakota. And I don't know if you've seen any of these signs. You can go through a couple of them if you so please. Uh, when we were there in Wall, uh, their coffee is five cents. Now, when coffee's five cents, you need behemoth-sized filters because there's a lot of people getting this cheap coffee, which surprisingly enough isn't all that bad. There's my cup of coffee there. And on the right, there is free ice water. The next slide, you can see all throughout the land, not just in South Dakota. There's a few more pictures. You can keep going through those slowly of signs that you see out on the interstate you see in various communities. There are even signs here in Watertown for wall drug. This this, has anyone ever seen those signs before? You ever seen the wall stop at wall drug? There's a couple more pictures here. And you can go and you can see that dinosaur. You can go and you get five cent coffee. You see this sign here that in a town, there is a wall drug, South Dakota sign for 4,502 miles away. Next picture. This sign, 5,000. 397 miles to Waldrug, just in case you were wondering. Next picture. Here, this is an actual picture, a, a really old one. But they had a, a, a uh, this is from the Waldrug store site, that 10,728 miles away, in case you were wondering how far it was to Waldrug. Next picture. This one was put up in world, during World War II, when soldiers were uh, uh, in some uh, somewhere in France or something, I don't I don't remember, but four thousand two hundred seventy eight miles away. Next picture, I think this is the last one, maybe. So this picture, it's it's horribly pixelated because I made it big and maybe I shouldn't have, but that is snow, and that is a group of people ex, uh, uh, explorers that went to the South Pole and they're playing volleyball at the South Pole. And at the South Pole, there is a sign, 11,568 miles to Wall Drug Store. You go next picture. Also, you can go and get some free ice water. Now, that's my kind of language because I, I, I don't like to pay for it. Now, I've learned to pay for it, but I'd rather not pay. Like my, my in-laws used to live in Jamestown. And it was one of the rare places that I've learned to enjoy the taste of water straight out of a faucet. Now, growing up, I drank out of a water hose in Chicago. We play outside all day, open the hose, and that just wonderful rubbery texture going down, you know, your, your esophagus. And I remember one of the first times I ever drank bottled water. I'm like, oh, what is this? Where's, where's the rubber? Where's the chemical? Where's my, where's my essential fluoride that I need inside of my water? I could not stand the taste of bottled water. But now I have changed with the times, and I might drive 11,562 miles to find some good 
free ice water. We were there having breakfast with the kids. And my wife grabbed a pamphlet. And I want to read that pamphlet to you today. And I have a copy of it if you want it after service. It is the story of Waldrug as told by Ted Husted, the pharmacist, the man who started Waldrug. I don't do this very often. I don't usually have story time in church, but I do feel quickened in the Holy Ghost to read this. This is his story of the beginning. Listen very carefully. It was December 1931. Dorothy and I had just bought the only drugstore in a town called Wall on the edge of South Dakota Badlands. We've been open a few days and business had been bad. I stood shivering on the wooden sidewalk in this little prairie town where there were only 326 people. 326 poor people. Most of them were farmers who'd been wiped out either by the depression or drought. Christmas was coming, but there was no snow, no sparkling lights, just viciously cold air. Out of the prairie, the cold wind whipped up dust devils. I could see a tin Lizzie chugging along the two-laner. Suitcases were strapped to the running boards. Someone's going home for the holidays. I thought to myself, I wish they would stop just for a cup of coffee. But they didn't. Here on Main Street, no one was out. When I went back inside, I turned the light off over the soda fountain, enjoying Dorothy and our four-year-old son, Billy, in our apartment. Basically, a room we made by stretching a blanket across the back of the store. I had graduated pharmacy school in 1929, and after two years of working for other druggists, I knew that Dorothy and I had to find our own store. My father just died, and he left me a $3,000 legacy. I'd work with that. We were living in Canova, South Dakota, when we began our search, covering Nebraska, South Dakota, in our Model T. As we searched, we were sure of two things. We wanted to be in a small town, and we wanted the town to have a Catholic church. In Canova, the nearest parish was 20 miles away. We wanted to be able to go to Mass every day. In Wall, where the drugstore was for sale, we found both a small town and a Catholic church. When we talked to the priest, the doctor, and the banker, they told us all that Wall was a good place with good people and that they wanted us to come live there. Dorothy and I were excited about Wall. But when we got back home and told our families about the plan, we found them skeptical. The town is in the middle of nowhere, a cousin said. And furthermore, everybody there is flat broke. My father-in-law was understanding, but even he said, you know, wall is just about as God forsaken as you can get. The first few months went by and business did not improve. I don't mind being poor, Dorothy said to me, but I wonder if we can use our talents to their fullest here in wall.
When Dorothy spoke of talents, my heart sank. My wife had a teaching degree and had taught literature in Sioux Falls High School. Was I being fair, making her work in this prairie drugstore? But the next minute, Dorothy said, we shouldn't get down, Ted. I'm sure we can use our abilities fully here. We can make this place work. Dorothy's optimism lifted me. I said to her, five years, Dorothy. That's what I think we should give to this drugstore. Five good years, and if it doesn't work by then, we will. Don't worry about then, said Dorothy. We'll make it go. And just think, Ted, pretty soon that monument at Mount Rushmore will be done. And then there will be an endless stream of people going by. I'm sure they'll come visit us. I saw the sign. We weren't starving. It's true. And we begun to make good friends in Wall. Our pastor, Father John Canoli, had become a tower of strength, making helping us keep our faith strong. And when and we had worked hard to serve our neighbors well, filling prescriptions for a sick child or an ailing farmer made me feel that I was doing something good. I also studied some veterinary medicine on my own so that I could help out farmers with their stock that were ill. But all this didn't seem to be enough. I still spent too many hours looking out the store window for customers who never showed up. I felt I was wasting too much of my life watching people pass by. Maybe as Dorothy's father had said, well, was God forsaken. By the time the summer of 1936 came around, our business hadn't grown much at all. Our five-year-old trial would be up in December. What would we do then? Along with nine-year-old Billy, Dorothy and I now had a one-month-old daughter, Mary Elizabeth. What hardships was I putting them in store for? One hot Sunday in July, though a great change swept a a great change swept us up. It started quietly in the deadening heat of an early afternoon when Dorothy said to me, you don't need me here, Ted. I'm going to put Billy and the baby down for a nap. Maybe take one for myself. I watched over the empty store. I swatted flies with a rolled up newspaper. I stood in the door and no matter where I looked, there was no shade because the sun was so high and fierce. And an hour later, Dorothy came back. Too hot to sleep, I asked. No, it wasn't the heat that kept me awake, Dorothy said. It was all the cars going by on Route 16A. The jalopies just about shook the house to pieces. That's too bad, I said. No, because you know what, Ted? I think I finally saw how we can get all those travelers to come to our store. How's that, I asked. Well, now... What is it that those travelers really want after driving across the hot prairie? They are thirsty. They want water. Ice, cold water. We've got plenty of ice and water. Why don't we put up signs on the highway telling people to come here for free ice water? Listen, I haven't made a few lines for the sign. Get a soda. Get a root beer. Turn next corner just as near to Highway 16 and 14. Free ice water. Wall drug. It wasn't Woodsworth, but I was willing to give it a try. During the next few days, a high school boy and I put together some signs. 
We modeled them after the old Burma Shave Highway signs. Each phrase of Dorothy's little poem went on a 12 by 36 inch board. We'd space the boards out so people could read them as they drove by. The next weekend, the boy and I went out to the highway, put up our signs for free ice water. I must admit, I felt somewhat silly doing it. But by the time I got back to the store, people had already begun showing up for their ice water. Dorothy was running all around to keep up. I pitched in alongside her. Five glasses of ice water, please, a father called out. May I have a glass for grandma, a boy asked. She's in the car. We ran through our supply of cracked ice. I began chiseling more off the block. Say good, sir, one traveler said in a Scottish brogue. I can't do that accent. We're going all the way to Yellowstone Park. Would you mind filling this jug with your water? Hey, this free ice water is a great idea, said a salesman, saddling up uh, on a stool. How about selling me an ice cream cone? For hours, we poured gallons of ice water made ice cream cones, and gave highway directions. When the travelers started on their way again, refreshed and ready for a new adventure, they gave us hearty thanks. When the day was done, Dorothy and I were wiped out. We sat in front of the store, watched the sunset, feeling a cool breeze come off the prairie. In the summer twilight, wall looked radiant. It looked like a good place to call home. Well, Ted, Dorothy said to me, I guess the ice water signs worked. They surely did work. We never really been lonely for customers since then. The next summer, we had to hire eight girls to help us. And now that the store is in good hands of Rick Husted, Waldrug draws up to 20,000 people on a good summer day. Free ice water. It brought us Husteds a long way and taught me my greatest lesson. Listen carefully. And that there's absolutely no place on God's earth that's God forsaken. No matter where you live, you can succeed. Because wherever you are, you can reach out to other people with something that they need. I know you probably think I'm weird and nuts right now, but... It emotionally gets me. Because those same lines are the same things I've heard. Those same emotions are the same emotions I have felt going to South Dakota with warning. Why would you go to South Dakota? Why would you go somewhere where you know no one, where you have no family? It's a God-forsaken land. You'll be alone. You'll live in poverty. What about your kids? What about your children? What about your spouse? You have talents that can serve a greater purpose somewhere else. But this little couple here out in the middle of a town of poverty of 300 people said we can use our talents fully here. Yes, we might make more somewhere else, but we can use our talents fully here. And could you ever imagine, they could not imagine, that a simple idea of free ice water would bring in 20,000 people a day on a hot summer day. When my wife and I and children were there, 
for that late morning. The place was packed. We had to stand in line. It's supposed to be, you know, COVID season. Everybody bunkered down and hiding. But everybody and their mother across the world and nation was coming 11,552 miles away. People coming 10,429 miles away. People coming 731 miles away. People driving 484 miles away just for a free ice water. 20,000 people in a day coming on to this little town that only has now twice the population of what it did over 70 years ago. It has some 766 people. But because somebody decided to stay, because somebody said, I can do something here, and because somebody, after five years of drought and non-productivity, looked around and said, there are people passing by here every single day. They might be off the far beaten path, but if I can give them a road sign and take them to this path, if I can get them to where I'm at, I got something they need. We've got to realize as a people and a church, there's people passing by the church every day off a far beaten path, but we got a sign that we got to make. We got a message of some free ice water. We got some living water. They can come and taste and dip from the well of salvation. I made copies of this if you would like to have it. But that statement, no matter where you are, you can succeed. Because wherever you are, you can reach out to other people with something that they need. We have something that this world needs. And more focus, more direct, we have something that Watertown needs. We have something that Coddington County needs. We have something that this region needs. It is living water. Ha! Something so complex that was destined to fail, to go to school and to get your pharmacy degree, to put all that time, to put all that money, to go and get your teaching degree, all the complex matters of life, and to go out and to try to start a business, all the complex matters of life in the middle of nowhere, that is a sure fail, that is destined to fail, but it thrived because they found something basic to bring people. We were just there. They got that picture of my cup of coffee for five cents. And my wonderful free cup of ice water. That's not all I had. We got breakfast. And when they handed me the receipt, I almost had a seizure. $60. For pancakes, hash browns, and eggs. And some wonderful donuts, I might add. It probably cost five cents to make that. 
But see, their treasure isn't getting people for, I mean, the, the water's not where they make their money and their treasure. But everyone that comes just to get the experience pays out the nose for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. And now you have this community that is thriving off of guests, visitors, and tourism. Because they presented something that everybody knows they have a need for. And that is free ice water. First Samuel 13, 11, I'm just about done. The context of 1 Samuel 30 is David has just been robbed of everything. Pretty complex situation. Not looking good. People speaking about killing him. And he wants to go find his stuff. And so David goes out looking. And as he's looking, the Bible says in verse 11, he finds an Egyptian in the field. And they bring the Egyptian to David. David gave him bread, and he did eat. And then he gave that Egyptian some free water. David was at a major breaking point, lost it all. So he went looking for what he lost, and he could not find it. Just out wandering, looking, trying to find in a bleak, dismal situation. But David found what he was looking for when he gave a dying soul some free ice water. Because this man that he nursed back to health through some bread and some water was the man that took David to what he was looking for. I submit to you that you will not find what you're looking for until you reach out to a dying soul and give them some living water. We will spend our lives looking and looking and looking for fulfillment and never find it until you go look for a lost, dying soul that needs water. And that connection will bring you what you're looking for. That peace you're looking for is found in the field. It's found where someone's lost and dying. That, that job decision, that career decision, that, that move, or whatever it is that's going through your mind, it is not your answer. You'll keep looking and looking and looking and looking. And you'll feel good for a little bit with your new distraction, your new move. But ultimately, you'll not find what you're looking for. But when you look for someone that's lost and dying, and you give them water, when they come to life, you'll come to life. And you'll find life. Let's stand together. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 25, is cold waters to a thirsty soul. So is good news. From a far country. There are souls. That are lost. There are souls. That are going to hell. And I promise you this. 
There is nothing more fulfilling aside from your own personal salvation. But what I've learned about my own personal salvation, after a while, I feel unfulfilled. Not because God isn't good and I'm not thankful for what he's done for me. But it's because God saved me for a purpose. And that purpose is a lost, dying soul. And you have and I have what they need, what they're looking for. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that hears say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. If you're not happy, and it's possible to go to church and find yourself not happy. Because you're not, you're not fulfilling that purpose. And so when you're not happy, you, you, you find anything to gripe about. Or you consider maybe if I change this, if I change that, if I go here, I go there, then, then I'll be happy. You won't be happy. It's until you get that glass of water that was given to you for free that Jesus purchased with his own blood. That rivers of living water, when you taste and see that the Lord is good and you find somebody that's off somewhere lost and you start signaling, you give them a sign. It may look like just a church card. You getting a church card and say, hey, you go to church anywhere? Hey, you should come to church. Hey, would, do you need prayer? Just going back on focus. To what this is all about. It's about souls. And when somebody gets saved. You know yes we go back to prayer. That's the basic. We go back to Bible reading. Yes that's basic. Yeah we're faithful to church. That's basic. But the fourth thing that we're not always so good at. Is the thirsty soul. That's dying. And until those four things are in your life. You will not be fulfilled. Because there's a joy that comes. Only from seeing somebody converted and saved. Doesn't mean that you're going to be the one teaching the 15, 18, 20, 30 week Bible study with them, but you might be the one responsible for getting them to come to the house of God and connecting them to the right person to teach that Bible study. To be a part of the process of somebody being saved, it, it, you draw from the wells of salvation. And I, I feel this that there is a sense of unfulfillment because we've been in drought. It's just the truth. We've been in drought since March. We haven't seen people getting baptized. We haven't been seeing people get the Holy Ghost. And the danger is to nitpick, pick apart, and look for things to get upset about and complain about. But that's still not the, the solution. It's who can I tell about this cup of water? Who can I advertise this water to that's free and it's wonderful? And help them to taste and see that the Lord is good. That is what brings fulfillment. I don't mean to embarrass James whatsoever. But when James came back through those doors, I know he's already had the born-again experience, but he's been away. But when James came back, it just, it just completely fed my soul. I could keep going. Because there's people in this town that want this. They want this water. They know where the water is. I wonder if there's anybody here today that wants to be a part of that, that free ice water campaign, that living water. 
If you feel like church has kind of been hollow and dead, don't look for something to complain about. Just say, God, what can I do to get somebody some water? And that water is going to bring you the joy that you're hoping, that you're longing, that you're looking for. Is there anyone here that wants to pray today? That wants to say, God, give me a heart and a burden to give somebody a glass of water. Lord Jesus, help me, God, to be a part of the process of pulling someone off that road that they're on. They're going on a highway literally to hell. God, I feel like I'm somewhere God forsaken. I've been warned not to be here. Lord, I've had people try to talk me out of it. I have people try to say your towns can be used elsewhere. But Jesus, there is nowhere that is God forsaken. Lord, everywhere I look, there are thirsty souls that need you, Jesus, that need living water. I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, help us as the church, Lord, to get water, Lord, into that weary, that thirsty, that dry land. Give myself.